0: Welcome to this edition of the Alabama Historical Association's podcast program. I'm your host, Marty Olaf, and I talk with people who conduct interesting research and do interesting things concerning Alabama history. You can find out more about the Alabama Historical Association, a membership organization devoted to Alabama history, by pointing your browser at our website, www.alabamahistory.net. Our guest is Dr. Allison Upshaw, Assistant Professor of Music at Stillman College. She'll be talking with us today about her presentation at the 2023 Alabama Historical Association meeting that she titled Reframing, Narratives of African-American Female Land Ownership in Alabama's Black Belt. This introduced the Alabama Historical Association to her latest project in creative nonfiction by that same title. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Allison Upshaw. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. And we're happy that you're here. Please tell us about this project, Reframing.
1: In June of 2020, the Alabama Department of Archives and History issued a statement acknowledging its privileging of the Confederate narrative. While Neglecting the History of African-Americans. And there is a link for that article, if you care to to share that. So this project really came to mind as a way to address a void in America's historical knowledge of the lives of Black women in the African-American South and their contributions to our society. The narrative that we know about Black home and land ownership is a deficit narrative. We know about redlining. We know that there were times when women were not allowed to own property. We know that Blacks were not allowed to own property or owning property was made difficult for both groups. But there is also a narrative of Black women who did, within those confines, manage to own property. My family is part of that story. So my grandmother was born in 1905. She kept land, my mother kept the land, and I am now a landowner. So we have three generations of female landowners in the Black Belt, and I wanted to start with telling our story.
0: As historians, we have a way of telling these stories, but as a professor of music, you take a very different approach to it. What is this creative nonfiction that you talk about?
1: So let me just say, first of all, I trained as an opera singer, and I am also a professional actress. My work in my PhD program was arts-based research methods. So though I'm a qualitative methodologist, I specialize in using the arts to ask questions, to process questions, and to then disseminate the answers to those questions. Creative nonfiction is the use of nonfiction information. So straightforward history facts. But if I said in 1910, a woman owns land and she lived long enough to pass it on to her daughter and her daughter passed it on to her daughter, those are absolute facts. Not very interesting. So the creative nonfiction part comes in taking those facts and finding a way to make them interesting so that it reads more like a novel. So in my head, what this project looks like is I am interested in finding out the basic facts of women who own land in a variety of communities. So hopefully I'll be able to find their birth dates, their marriages, their divorces, their deeds to the land, this concrete information What I don't know is whether or not they dipped snow. I don't know if they were tall or heavy or slim. I wanna know how many children they have and how did that impact or could have potentially impacted their ownership of land. I don't know if they were victims of domestic violence. Did someone try to take the land? Were there people who stood up for them? Those are facts. Those are potential realities. And so this idea of creative nonfiction is taking potential information and creating a character from that so that we flesh out the story. I can more imagine a woman who dips snuff and carries a shotgun and says, you're not going to take my land and being very clear that there are some things about this story that are just part of figments of my imagination, imagining how a woman in that time period might have interacted with men who thought that they needed to tell her what to do and how to do it, right? There are little parts that we'll use in terms of creativity, arts, dance, visual arts. Did they participate at church or were they total atheists and didn't go to church at all? Those kinds of things I may never know, but I can imagine. What do
0: you anticipate being the product that comes out of this project?
1: My goal when I started this was to write a play to tell the story of maybe nine or 10 of these women and see what came out of that. And so I found a grant, actually, was interested in funding research in public archives and public records. And so I applied. They weren't as interested in me writing a play as I had hoped. But I've applied three times and I've been successful this last time. So the version of this grant and this project is that I am going to partner with K-12 schools. So with high schools and with teachers to learn how to teach high school students how to do basic research. So they will go into local offices, the probate office, whatever, and say, can I look at the deeds? Or maybe we'll get some names and we'll ask around and say, do you know anybody who owned land and how far back and when did this start? So finding that information and we're partnering with an archivist to come in and provide information about how to dig into genealogy for African-Americans, which is a little bit different, particularly as the further back we get. The focus is on teaching research skills to young high school students that may be coming into college, but having them actually create character sketches. They start with these basic facts. And then they create, well, what do you know? So is you a church going woman? She might wear those old cotton stockings that you couldn't see through and that you knotted over your knee because they weren't pantyhose. I remember my grandmother wore those. And so she had habits, like she would fix them because they would always slide down. So the character has these habits. If the character is a smoker, well, they might say something and then light up. And there might be a pause in their speech as they smoke, or there might be a pause in their speech as they bit out snuff. Uh, so, how do they talk? How do they walk? Who walks or talks like that that you know of? Is there somebody who walks with a little limp or who walks using a cane? And so that these students are introduced to creative nonfiction, but also the project will invite the community in to have workshops and teachers to come in and learn how to utilize public records as a way to teach their students about research, especially if they're going to college. This is something that they need to do it's not a high stakes assignment. So they learn a lot, but it can be fun and it integrates the arts into their learning.
0: It also sounds like there's going to be some potential for oral history instruction. Do you anticipate that happening?
1: Not as part of this particular grant, because this particular grant uh, specifically does not allow for oral history. So outside of the parameters of this grant, I'm interested in the idea of oral history and collecting that information. This might trigger memories in the community. Oh, you know, I just thought about my great grandmother owns a piece of property and she talked about, I have forgotten that story. So being able to pull those things in and also the possibility of reaching out to the Alabama Humanities Organization to see about their interest in a documentary of this process and this learning.
0: I think you may be onto to something there. Let me give a plug to the other AHA, the Alabama Humanities Alliance, which used to be the Alabama Humanities Foundation. They partially fund things like documentaries. The Alabama State Council on the Arts is another viable route for media funding. Anyway, this sounds like a fabulous project. Do you have a timeline for it?
1: So... Right now, since we've gotten the grant, I'm focused within their two-year time frame, but I envision this as a portion of the project. So I see the possibility of this extending past the year 25, which is where the grant ends. And going back to my original idea of me actually creating a play of women that talk about their experiences because the Working with young people who are not at the age of legal consent is very restrictive in research. So I'd either have to wait until they become old enough to really have them involved or really think about partnering with them to see if I could use some of the information that they gather to help me create a larger piece.
0: Now, speaking of this larger piece... You have created a Prezi presentation, which combines all of what we've talked about with an example drawn from your own family. Fill us in on this a little bit.
1: My mother just turned 93 on Memorial Day, and she has dementia. In 2014 to 2017, I was working on my PhD, and I became interested in telling her story. I realized that I only knew her as my mother and not as a woman in her own right. And that she had all of this information. Eggs used to be used for money and they were the equivalent of one cent. Sometimes her mother would give her an egg or give her children an egg and they could go get an all day sucker or they could go get a Johnny cake as she called them, which might've been a cookie or something like that. She was filled with all this information and sometimes I can still get her to talk about her living and growing up in the country, in this rural area. But I also have a book of history that she created. And so I wanted to share the stories that she talked about. So I wrote a five-minute version of a play that was premiered in Tuscaloosa in a one-act. And I actually played both roles. I played my mother and me. But telling this story and creating, trying to bring this story to life. And it was amazing to me that after it was over, so many people, white and black, came up to me and said, that reminded me so much of my grandmother. We, too, have land and we don't know what to do with it. There's land just sitting there. Nobody wants to move back out to the country. And what do we do with it? Because one of the questions that I raise in this project is what do we do with land that our ancestors worked so hard to get, but they could never have envisioned iPads and Apple computers and this lack of dependence on an agricultural community. So do we as people who the land has been entrusted to sacrifice our dreams to try to maintain theirs? or do we sacrifice their dreams to maintain our own? I mean, there are no jobs for me in Butler County. I am a trained opera singer and actress and art space researcher. That's just not the environment in rural Alabama that is going to allow me to pay my bills. So do I sell the land? Do I keep the land? How am I culturally and historically responsible And how do I manage to be a good steward of the lived experience of my ancestors? All of these questions came forth out of other people's experience with that play, and So when I did the Prezi, I wanted people to see that I had included facts. The story in my family is that the slave owner went off to fight in the Civil War and was killed. And the slave that he took with him made it back to the plantation and informed the slave owner's sister what had happened. And she decided that since the Yankees would come and take the land and divide it up, she would do it herself. So she divided up the land amongst the slaves that were there on the plantation, and she moved up the road of peace and married into the Crenshaw family that is how we became landowners in the middle of this turmoil that was the Civil War. Again, those are the facts, but what does that mean when you hear it in the voice of someone's grandmother who is remembering this or telling this and how do I make it more real so that the questions are personal? I want the experience to be personal. So the the Prezi was my way of trying to reach out to people to say, hey, Here's a story, and by the way, how does this personally connect to you? What do you know, and what's happening in your family?
0: Questions you're posing are thought-provoking and emotion-provoking. They take people from a rational examination of experience before them and drive them into the experience itself so that they have to be empathetic as they look at how this would affect themselves, as well as it affecting other people. This is a pretty remarkable mechanism for connecting people with their own histories and connecting community with its own history.
1: Thank you for that. One of the things that it has also done for me, it has connected me with my mom in a different way. I'm an only child. I made the choice to stay close to home, I'm only two hours away from the home property. A new mama would have to come live with me at some point, but I wanted to be able to take her home without there being a plane ride or an eight-hour trip. I would never considered that there would come a time where she didn't recognize the place, but it's made me more empathetic in terms of her connection to the land itself. When we go home, my mother sleeps in the same bedroom she was born in. The house is over 110 years old. We are in a place where more and more of us are taking care of our parents and more and more of us are thinking of moving our parents where they are closer to us, where our lives are centered. And I think oftentimes it's hard to understand, well, why won't they let that go? Why won't they let that house go, that furniture go, that vase, that fork, you know, but realizing that even in my home, I have pots and pans that my great, great grandmother used. What does that mean to just let that go? Because I have a new piece of crockware that I just got off the latest Amazon sale. How does that compare? I I don't have room for both. Whose history will I preserve? It's a good question. It's a hard
0: question. The answers are difficult.
1: Absolutely. And we're still on the cusp of land whose ownership is not clearly defined. So we still have air property as a school project, I was, uh, this became fascinating, this idea of mama's story. And so in one of my classes, we actually did do a documentary. So uh, just to, to learn how to do documentaries, it was that. So we started interviewing people about heir property, H-E-I-R. An example of heir property would be if your grandparents own a hundred acres of land and they have five children, there's no will. So all of the children inherit. And so you would think, oh, well, that's, easy. You just divide them up and each of them get 20 acres and everybody's happy. Well, no, air property means that each of them has one fifth of each acre. So you must have consensus to do anything with the property. And you know, you can barely agree to go out to dinner together at the restaurant. So it's selling land, maintaining land, who's going to pay the taxes, who pay the taxes? Do we give you back the money for the paying of the taxes? All of these things become Huge. And in the state of Alabama, we interviewed a lawyer and I think he said it was 60 million dollars in air property that no one could touch because they couldn't find all of the owners. But this land is sitting in Alabama, it is owned by families and there's been a disconnect. So if Grandma Jim and Grandma Clara died and their grandchildren live in Detroit somewhere and have never been to the homestead, they're not thinking that, hey, I'm a landowner in Alabama. Maybe the family moved away so long ago that there's no one there who remembers them. So there is this plethora of land and potential financial for families that we can't touch because it's air property. So those are other issues that come up, that land can't be sold, it can't be divided, it's just sitting there.
0: It's amazing what you learn when you start digging into a project, isn't it?
1: It is, it (laughs) is. And all of these things impact history and impact how I need to engage
0: with history. I think it says that to all of us. Let me ask you in our last few minutes about some similarly named projects that I know that you've been associated with. Tell us about opportunities and tell us about artivism.
1: Classroom opportunities or opportunities is my work with teaching young people and teaching teachers how to integrate the arts into classroom subjects for student engagement and to enhance student learning. So we might use drama to teach social studies or, as I did with my dissertation, using dance to increase literacy. And artivism is that idea of integrating the arts to talk about some of our social concerns. So we know that arts build in empathy and allow people to empathize and sympathize with matters outside of their own experience. So taking that and building on that as a way to get people to understand points of view outside of their own. These sound
0: like fascinating projects as well. And it's easy to see the connections between opportunities and artivism and your project reframing these narratives of African-American female land ownership in Alabama's black belt. Dr. Upshaw, thank you so much for being with us today, and good luck with your ongoing project.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I had a wonderful time, and thank you for listening. I know I talk a lot.
0: (laughs) If you want to find out more about Dr. Upshaw and her projects now or past projects, and I assume future projects, check out her website, and the URL will appear in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today. This has been another edition of the Alabama Historical Association podcast program. Our music is the traditional tune, Whistle By, performed at City Stages in 1996 by James Bryan and Carl Jones. It's provided courtesy of the Alabama Folklife Association, which you can find on the web at alabamafolklife.org.